my favorite meme that I've been using in the last week has been the um, oh he's got that thing on him. He got mm-hmm. that thing on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, like at the at the hair salon, like you see somebody else cutting hair, and you're like, oh, he got that thing on him. <laughs> like he's got just a pair of scissors. <laughs> I like to say he him. That's him. He is him. Oh, that's he, oh he him. That's he. <laughs> that's he right there. There he he's is. Got that, he's got that him in him. There he is. This is Chapel Bell Curve. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today, we're here to talk about the first playoff game against Ohio State, the best team in the nation who still uses elementary-style incentives to celebrate their successes. I have, uh, I just wanted to put that at the very top. I got nothing about, I got nothing wrong against stickers, is what I'm saying. But this team loves some stickers. Have you seen the helmets, Nathan? Have you seen them? I'm, they give stickers I'm out for everything. Yeah I, yeah, I did think it was interesting that in Ryan Day's press conference for the Peach Bowl, the helmet that they had up there, I mean, I'm sure it was just like a helmet that their equipment, you know, people gave to the the press people at the Peach Bowl. But the helmet that is on the podium with Ryan Day during his press conference also has the stickers on it. And I really oh, like yeah, the so idea. Yeah, I like the idea that they couldn't just have a generic helmet up there, right? Because that would imply mm-hmm. that it didn't have... It didn't have Buckeye stickers on it. I'm all over it. I, I feel, I think it's cool when you want to like sticker shock, sp- sticker bomb your your possessions, you know. And oh, yeah. I wish that they had gone with a more like Lisa Frank kind of neon design for the stickers. Ooh. Or maybe like they didn't that put them in so rows. Cool. They kind of like stacked them over each other. But anyway. Mm-hmm. Like real water bottle style. We no. used to do. Don't put them bone- next to one another. We used to do dog boat stickers, and that kind of like fell I out remember. of favor. They were little. Was the difference? Like they were much littler. You could yeah. put a lot more on there if you wanted to. But these things, these they're filling them suckers up. You I know? mean, every and every good offensive skill player in the history of Ohio State has had like stickers visible on the front of their helmet, like stickers that <laughs> they could <true>. commit, <laughs> stickers that they could commit a targeting penalty with. You know what I mean? Do you do you think they make the players put their own stickers on their helmets, or do they have a sticker boy? Okay, I don't know. I think I think they have a sticker boy, but then some of the sometimes the stickers are a little haphazard, so that makes me think that maybe it's mm-hmm. like a a sticker thing, like they sticker their own helmets. It's like a point of pride, you know. That's fair. Yeah, or it's just yeah, it's it's part of the it's the rite of passage. You stick your own stickers mm-hmm. on your helmet, my man. That's how you do it. But, you know, that's what, what, a, what, a, what we're that's talking what about a man stickers. Does. What a man does is he that's puts his stickers does. on his own own helmet. Yeah. You sit down. You put your stickers on your own helmet. I did this. I earned these stickers. Uh, as we've done all season, as we said beforehand, we wanted to make sure that we're, we're, we practice the way we play. And that's what we're doing today. Mm-hmm. These are the processes mm-hmm. that got us here. And mm-hmm. I want to, just as we've done throughout every big game of the season... I want to get your mind right with a quick PSA. A quick PSA to get your mind right about the Ohio State Buckeyes. You ready? Yes. Okay. I know you know what a Buckeye is, correct? I do. It is a nut. There, there <laughs> It is a nut. It's a tree. It also has a nut. They're both Buckeyes. Mm-hmm. It is the, the state tree of Ohio, which is apparently like the center of the world, I'm pretty sure. Or it's like the black hole that's at the center of our entire universe is Ohio. 
mm-hmm. there's just so much that comes from Ohio. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, I want to talk about Buckeyes just a little bit. So okay. Buckeyes are a lot of things. They are small, shiny, dark brown nuts with a light brown, light tan patch. That that nut itself comes from the official official state tree of Ohio, as I said, the Buckeye tree. Per tradition, Buckeyes are supposed to bring good luck when they're carried, which might have something to do with the millions of stickers on the, the helmets of the players. Maybe that has something to do with it. However, according to the USDA, every part of the Buckeye tree, its leaves, its bark, and its fruit are highly toxic, if ingested, resulting in symptoms of muscle weakness and paralysis, dilated pupils, vomiting, diarrhea, depression, palo- paralysis, excuse me, and stupor. So, bottom line is, do not eat them. Uh, which, another Buckeye thing you may be aware of, may not be aware of, I think you are, because I don't know if it's a Southern thing or not, but little peanut butter balls, you dip in chocolate, those are called yeah. Buckeyes as well, and that is I, my I, favorite holiday treat. I do like I do like a, I like a confectionery Buckeye. They give me heartburn. I do they too. always have. It was yeah. the first time I experienced heartburn as a human was when I was like 10 and I ate like 10 Buckeyes <laughs> and all of that powdered <laughs> sugar really got me, really got me. Uh, I think, I, th- I, I think there's I a joke s- here about Ryan oh, about- Day and Buckeyes being highly toxic, but I'm going to leave that to That's you. That's I'm going to tee that up. We're going to, we're going to do, we're, we're, we try not to take the easiest thing. What I will say yeah. is that there are actually Buckeye trees all the way into the black belt of Alabama. In like central oh, west okay. Alabama. Also, there are a good number of buckeye trees in Tennessee, as well. So it's not it. just Ohio. It's kind of a pretty tree. I, I have to say that uh, per the, the you know p- folks who maintain the conservation status of trees, the buckeye tree is of least concern right now, which means I think we should just you know, go on a Buckeye tree rampage. We can cut down as many of these <laughs> things as we want for dumb publicity stunts. And we don't have to uh-huh. worry about the ecological impact. Right. Also, I would point out that the scientific name of the Buckeye tree is Esculus Glabra, which is just, I think a that's probably for a player from LSU. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I was going to say yep. that's, I was going to say there's probably something kind of snotty that Ohio state fans do where they refer to, some, some part of the university as a schoolist glabra. Like, this is our schoolist <laughs> where we eat our glabra. Glabra. <laughs> um, come one, so come all for your glabra. We are going to do, like we said a couple of times already, we're going to practice the way we play. Even on an important episode, we're going to do our basic same episode layout, which if you haven't listened to an episode before, welcome, I guess. Welcome. And we normally divide our episodes episodes up into qualitative and quantitative segments so first we're about to do our qualitative segment i guess we're already starting it we'll do some newsy stuff i'll probably say some mean things about ohio state and then we will just generally talk about any storylines or narrative coming into the game and then we will get into Mm -hmm. a quantitative time where we do a little bit more of the numbery stuff we'll we'll talk about some stats we'll talk about some matchups we'll talk about what we want to see and we'll make some predictions so let's do qualitative first let's do our newsy segment it's time for all right, all right. everyone's favorite Christian Bale-fronted musical. <laughs> Is there another Christian Bale-fronted musical? Oh, man. You know what would be great would be uh, the American Psycho musical. Would it be? Great is a strong word. No, but here's the thing. <laughs> to be Bre- used here. <laughs> Brett, Easton, Brett Easton Ellis seems like kind of a POS, you know? So mm-hmm. I think it would be funny if they adapted uh, American Psycho, a book 
that is just so self-serious and is read by people who are so self-serious into like a Steven Sondheim style musical. Like American Psycho the Musical. I bet. Hold on. I bet you that exists. Hold on. In real time. (laughs) Let me see. Bring it to the Googs, my man. Oh, my God. It does exist. What have you found? Of course it does. It performed in 2016. Preview performances in 2016. And it was starred Doctor Who's Ugh. Matt Smith. Although I'm not really? sure. Yeah. That's it incredible. apparently only had 27 previews and 54 regular performances. I guess it wasn't good. Interesting. Well, that sucks. Yeah, I it found. Is. Although I love that it exists. Yes. Well, this is just this is some segments from the show, but it's mostly just a review of it that I found on here. Do people not like it? Ugh. I don't know. I can't really tell. I'm going to be doing that after this. <laughs> yeah. Brett Easton, if, if you didn't know, Brett Easton Ellis is like pretty famous for talking about how he thinks that the that basically like women can't be funny. He's kind of a mm. very proud misogynist and also That's just fun. seems like a totally self-serious asshole. Brett Easton Ellis, just if you are younger and you're not familiar with his sort of uh, au revoir, Brett Easton Ellis is kind of like chuck palinuk for the gen x people and i know you might say oh. well chuck palinuk is for gen x people but that's not true yeah chuck palinuk is for like young gen xers and old millennials right who read fight club mm-hmm. and then read choke and then thought like i don't know that they had discovered <laughs> god or whatever but Brady snell's is like that <laughs> but for people who weren't smart enough to read david foster wallace who himself is kind of a dirtbag but at least a good writer mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't want to speak ill of the dead. I don't. I don't know how I'm talking crap about David Foster Wallace on our Ohio State preview. But you know what? You dance with the girl that brought you. You practice like you play. I would talk about David Foster Wallace in the Kitt State preview, which means I will talk about David Foster Wallace in the Ohio State preview. By God, it's so, true. I'm not sure how we got here. That's fine. <laughs> we were talking about American Psycho. Anyway, newsy stuff. Yeah, yeah. We don't know officially on McConkey or McClendon. There have been some whisperings that we will see McConkie. I, if I was a betting man, I've heard that it was a meniscus sprain. If I was a betting man, I would imagine that given that McConkie kind of embodies, Lad McConkie this is, sort of embodies this, all of the stereotypes that people use about white football players in terms mm-hmm. of being like a tough gin rat or whatever, I'm imagining he will play, right? You don't, yeah. you don't get to be a you know starring player on the best football team in the nation at the college level and be like a five seven white guy without a little bit of toughness right i'm imagining yeah. he'll play if he can not sure about warren mcclendon i know that amarius mims is rotating in behind him amarius mims is probably the best sixth offensive lineman in the nation he is a he is a surefire nfl prospect at this point well not as surefire mm-hmm. as you can be and as of the last practice reports, as of today, today is uh, December 28th. Yeah, he has been practicing in place of Warren McClendon at guard, or sorry, at tackle, right tackle, I think. Um, it looks like Marvin Jones Jr. will be back, which is actually really good news. He is practicing as of the last media availability or media period at practice. Marvin Jones Jr. is a very important depth, I think, at the outside linebacker spot and is a guy who can bring very consistent uh pass rushing efforts especially he's also a bigger guy uh chas chambliss 
who has been sort of filling in for that Nolan Smith spot has had some problems against the run occasionally and hasn't been super consistent in pass rushing. I would expect that we would still see Chas Tambla start, but having Marvin Jones back mm-hmm. as depth is still really important. Uh, the Peach Bowl media availability period is one of the few times each year that, or the bowl media availability period is required by the bowl. And, you know, like when UGA goes, they don't really have control over who speaks to the media as much as they normally do. And normally the UGA's assistant coaches never speak to the media, but they got to this year and uh, they do during the bowls every year rather. And that is great because Todd Munkin is a national treasure. I want to read you Absolutely. some quotes. I pulled these quotes both from watching his interview, which was great, and from a piece that Seth Emerson wrote about it. I there was he was asked about why the offense looked so good against uh, Oregon at the first game of the year, and then like sort of bounced around from being just okay to really good. And he said, "Sometimes shit just works." <laughs> what a genius! He's, he's the best kind of grumpy old man. He was asking when mm-hmm. he knew it, when Stetson Bennett was the guy. And he says, I don't know. Shit, there's plays in the game. I'm not sure he's the guy. There's times I call some shit. I don't know <laughs> if I'm the guy. <laughs> he also. It's true. And then Seth Emerson did a really good job of, uh, of which you should just read the whole piece. But he really did a really good job of talking about how when he was asked about when he was asked about Stetson Bennett in August, he gave a longer answer at, I guess the preseason of media availability he had to do where he said, sustained success is the greatest indicator of your confidence in any given player. Just like any relationship, my marriage has gotten better over the years, but sustained, I don't know if success is the word, but sustained her putting up with my ass, I guess. <laughs> what a Todd Munkin for president, man. I love that. I love that man, man. And I, and I normally have no problem with sort of, I mean, look, it's no secret that Kirby Smart sort of embodies the corporations from Cyberpunk 2077. Like, he is a corpo, and that's fine. (laughs) I like to win. You know what I'm saying? Like, I normally don't care about that kind of thing. The one thing that Kirby Smart does in terms of operationally that I wish he wouldn't is that he locks down his assistant coaches. That's an old Saban thing. Very little media availability. It is a very much, like, path of most efficiency, path of least chance of i guess scandal right because if you don't let your assistant mm-hmm. coaches talk then there's no way that they're going to say something stupid but it also doesn't allow us to see the personalities of these guys and from what little we've been able to hear them talking from their previous thoughts it seems like that georgia has really funny coordinators on both sides a lot of guys yeah. on the staff are genuinely like have good personalities and are hilarious like todd mumpkin is funny obviously but also will muschamp actually ha- is pretty quippy uh, at times, mm-hmm. so as is Mike Bovo, who is you know on staff here. So I don't know. It's just I wish that he would let them talk more. That's all. Yeah. Speaking of uh, assistant coaches, <laughs> nothing too crazy. But the Ohio State offensive coordinator Kevin Wilson said, uh, you know, if anybody's been following around the, the coaching carousel, you would have seen that he was picked up to be the next head coach at Tulsa. And so very excited for him. But uh, when asked, you know, how are you splitting your time between getting ready for the Peach Bowl or getting ready for your new head coaching job? He said he has dedicated about 70% of his time to the Peach Bowl using his hours late at night, quote, preparing for his head coaching job at Tulsa next year. I I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts about what? What? (laughs) Speaking of just saying dumb shit to the media, I feel like that's a that's kind of up there. I don't know. Am Mm -hmm. I crazy to think that? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that affects his ability to prepare for Georgia. Uh, I I know yeah. that 
you know, the size of these coaching staffs, while still limited, is pretty massive at this level. These guys have an immense number of quality certs, people and grad assistants and just all sorts of off-field staffers who can do a lot of the prep work themselves. Kevin Wilson uh, has a, we'll say, patchy history of doing and saying dumb shit throughout his career. And whether this is just a media faux pas or it indicates some sort of lack of awareness about the high, like the stakes of this game, I have no idea. Tulsa is not that good of a job right now. <laughs> like, I'm Mm-mm. not surprised Kevin Wilson was asked to be Tulsa's head coach. I'm surprised that Kevin Wilson chose to be Tulsa's head coach, right? And I, I don't know, man. Like, this is the same guy who... If I'm not mistaken, is not isn't Kevin Wilson the guy who was at Indiana? He left because there were multiple investigations of mistreatment of his players at Indiana after he'd gotten an Oops. extension. Yeah, so I don't know if that's the guy who you want to say like, oh, it's just a faux pas around because he has a history of being kind of a dummy. Uh, I mean, like, let's call it what it is. He abused his players, so that's more than a dummy. Yeah. But, so I don't know if we want to give him the benefit of the doubt. It's just stupid. Uh, you know, even if that's true, like, don't say it, lie about it. Yeah. Actually, this I don't I don't have this in the notes, but this there is sort of a similar thing happening on Georgia's side too, and it's interesting the different ways that they've dealt with it. So Buster Faulkner, who is the he's a quality assistant coach and he works with the quarterbacks at UGA. Mm-hmm. Buster Faulkner was generally considered to be he was the guy who was going to take the offensive coordinator job if Todd Munkin ever left, and he left to go go become Georgia Tech's offensive coordinator, and. You know, he is technically an off-field coach in a way that Kevin Wilson isn't, but it's a very poorly kept secret that most of these off-field coaches work with the players, like, on even during the yeah. games. Like, I don't, I don't want to ruin anybody's thoughts about college football, but that's just the way it is. And when they asked Kirby Smart about him being there, uh, about Buster Faulkner being there for, for bowl prep, because he is there right now, Kirby Smart used it as an opportunity not to say something stupid, but to make fun of Georgia Tech because he basically was just like, well, you know, he has the time to be here because Georgia Tech can't practice right now because they're not going to a bowl game. (laughs) Anyway, it's just it's an interesting it's it's a nothing story. I doubt it affects the game at all, but it is just interesting in terms of management of the media. Uh, any yeah. other new stuff? Uh, just, you know, I wanted to kind of tee you up to, if you did want to say anything mean about Ryan Day, we kind of have a moment here before we get into the real football-y stuff. You know, after just kind of looking through all the news of this game and everything leading up to it, I just, it got to a point where having seen Ryan Day's face so much just makes me think he's kind of a supervillain. It's kind of like the longer you look at him, the more he starts to look like a supervillain. And mm. so I tried to figure out, like, was it the beard? Because the beard is an addition in later years. It's not the beard. It's just kind of his face. He just always looks like he's got a little bit of a secret, and it might <laughs> have something to do with, you know, like a laser. Um, but I don't know. Like, It also kind of got me thinking about how head coaches are, they sort of are supervillains in some ways, and, and they could use their powers for evil because you got a whole football team, which is your minions, you know, your henchmen. And you can kind of get away with with anything. A lot of bad stuff happens, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't I, know, but what do you, what are your feelings on Ryan Day and his stupid face? I mean, Ryan Day is. All right, I'll give you a serious and then not serious answer. Does that work? Yeah. All right. The serious answer is Ryan Day is a very good play caller. He's a very good offensive mind. Absolutely. He the, he. There's a constant threat of Ryan Day becoming an NFL head coach, and even after this game, there probably will still be that threat that he will be looked at by NFL teams who need a coach after the season he is he's been incredibly successful i think he's something like 45 and 11 at 
at Ohio State. He is in an interesting mm-hmm. position where he has lost the last two games to Michigan. And even though I don't think he's 45 and 11, I, I, it's like less than that. He has some ridiculous record at Ohio State. He's been really good. Yeah, it's a really good record. And But even with all of that success, he has faced some pressure, at least from fans, if not internally. Like he's not getting fired or anything. But there's a certain segment of the Ohio State fan base who is upset with him because he hasn't, you know, quote unquote, performed up to Ohio State standards. I find that to be really interesting. If he wins this game, you know, he has a pretty good shot of winning the national title. And then we're timing mm-hmm. a different conversation. But if he loses this game, he's not getting fired. I'm not worried about that. I'm just more thinking about his place in the fan base. Because if he wins this game, he could be a hero. And if he loses this game, people could be shouting at one of the winningest head coaches in the history of college football. Right? To this point yeah, in his career. This is definitely a legacy piece one way or another. Like, if yeah. he wins, it's a legacy piece that he can kind of, you know, put on the mantle forever. If he loses... Mm-hmm. You lost to Michigan twice in a year, which is really the only game it seems to matter to Ohio State fans. And then you lost, you know, when you shouldn't have, some people have said, shouldn't have had a chance in the playoffs in the first place. He's, he's, I think Ohio State's very yeah. much one of the top four teams. He was 45 and five. Just, uh, so, wow. It's, yeah, it's very good. So far. I mean, he's he's in, he's been an incredible, I mean, inc- incredible run of uh, coaching. But my non-serious Stupid answer face. is that I... He seems like a good guy. Okay, hold on. He seems like a good guy. I have to preface this. He seems like a good guy. He does a lot for like mm-hmm. mental health stuff. I think he has like a history in his family of having, you know, people who have really struggled with their mental health. And so like I'm very happy about that. And I think more coaches should talk about it. And by all accounts, he seems like a nice guy. He hasn't had any scandals. So when I say this, I don't mean it as a personal indictment. Like if I'm making fun of Urban Meyer, it's because I don't think he's a good person. So I want to be clear yes. that I'm not accusing Ryan Day of being a bad person, and I'm not making fun of him because I don't like him. I'm just making fun of him because look at where we are. Having said that, mm-hmm. I don't like his beard, and I've been trying to figure out why I don't like his beard. And I think it's because <laughs> his beard has a, a very similar visual sort of like pattern as the beard of the guy from tool time who was the like the other <laughs> dude from from tool time i need i need to be able to get this reference right i watched this a lot al borland he kind of has a similar beard to beard to al borland on tool, tool time when he had a uh beard he does. where it's like well a it's like the shape is similar and b it looks like it's all one single place like when Ryan Day look, grows a beard, it looks like he pulled up his 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 Wii and opened his Mii file and then slapped a beard on it. And then that, like, <laughs> solid black paint painted on his beard. And that's fine. Every man has a different beard. I don't hold that against him. Mm-hmm. But I do think his beard makes him look like an aging male porn star who's not good at being a porn star. Like a guy <laughs> who is, like, sort of the C-team, you know? Mm-hmm. But then you're right. He also he also does have a very super villain thing. I don't know what it is. I his cheeks are too high. He's got these little mm-hmm. his little baby cheeks, and when he smiles, his cheeks like evict his eyes from his face. His cheeks are like bad <laughs> landlords, and they're like, "Get out of here, get eyes! Out of here, there's eyes. no time. There's no time for eyes. This is an all cheeks operation. I got to get away from this horrible yeah. single piece beard." I don't know what's going on with that. Also, Ryan, <laughs> Bubby, you make more than me in a than in a year than I will in my whole life. Can we get an eye care routine going on those bags under the eyes, man? Nobody minds. Get the eye creams, my guy. Yeah, nobody minds you having uh, like you know laugh lines. That that's a sign of a life well lived. I, you know that's fine. But just my guy, 
the bags. Like let's let's hit that with some retinol complex. I currently use <laughs> I I currently use uh, what is it? Naturium. It's not mm-hmm. Nutrium. That's the name of the very unhealthy candy bars from Parks and Rec. I think it's Nutrium retinol complex under okay. eye cream. But you know, get on it, Ryan Day. I'm sure you can afford the expensive stuff from Korea that you know all the influencers yeah. use. Anyway, he could. Do you want? Do you want Ryan to talk Day about is this? on skincare uh, TikTok? That's he what should that be. He should be. Or on he skincare. needs to be. He other than his under eye bags, he actually has very nice skin. So I, I just I'm him. wondering why he hasn't taken care of those. You know, I mean, mm. just like I know you don't get a lot of sleep, bud, but could, would it kill you to like an eye mask or something? Get some of that swelling out of there. <laughs> anyway, all right. You want to talk about on. Ohio State history? We should. Yeah, let's talk about it. The Winsipedia. Okay, so. Ohio State and UGA have only played once, and UGA won 93. It was in the Citrus Bowl, I want to think. I, I want to say it was a bowl game. It was 21-14. It was also, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Kirk Herbstreet's last uh, last game as a player, which just brings mm. me great joy. Because from the bottom <laughs> of my heart, fuck Kirk Herbstreet. I would say a lot of my opinions about Ohio State are influenced by my opinions about Kirk Herbstreet, which is probably unfair to Ohio State. Uh, they have been playing football since 1890. They are, by all accounts, one of the best college football programs in history. They are number one mm-hmm. all time in weeks in the AP poll. They're number one in Heisman winners. They're number two in consensus All-Americans, number three in NFL draft picks, number two in weeks as AP number one. They are number one in first round draft picks. They are second all time in wins, sixth all time in national championships, first all time in all time win percentage. They are the, if not one of, I think maybe the premier college football brand in the nation. They are a truly national yeah. brand. Every rando dude from like Dallas, Georgia to Dallas, Texas, who has like a <laughs> stick up his ass and two partially working dirt bikes has an Ohio State hat. Right? Oh, my God. <laughs> Every guy who ever wanted to be Fred Durst in the 90s has an Ohio State hat. A lot of the dudes who a lot of white guys who wanted to be rappers have an Ohio State Troy Smith jersey. That's Ohio State. Mm hmm. They're one of the best programs in the history of the of of the league of football. Period. Yeah, uh, of football. The, you know the game. Yeah, I, I I guess my biggest response to that is just to make like a slow masturbatory gesture, just like <laughs> I know podcasting is a visual meeting, but just like uncomfortably slow. Uh, Ohio State tends to get really good coverage because they make money every time they play, and that's fine. And they have a guy who was a former quarterback from Ohio state at the head of ESPN's college football programming, you know, in Kirk Herb street, who also seems like is kind mm-hmm. of a jackass. And so they yep. get the coverage that they get. I, there's not a lot to say about them except fuck Ohio <laughs> state. Let's move on. And they copyrighted yeah, the word, the, Oh my Did God. They really? Yes. <laughs> Ohio oh state. My, yes. Oh God. Now I'm angry. I thought I wasn't going to get angry about it. I thought I wrote in the notes. Anyway, let's move on. F Ohio state. But I don't think no. I can. I don't think I can stop. Listen, so the Big Ten, you know the Big Ten, they are mm-hmm. the Big Ten has this thing where all of their schools belong to this accreditation body called the American Union of Universities. I think is what it's called, and it is mm-hmm. supposedly you know the best accrediting body in the nation. So the Big Ten really, really virtue signals on having better academics than teams, especially from the SEC. And they have been doing this for years. They did a lot in the BCS era, and it hasn't stopped in the college football playoff area. So I generally don't have 
I don't really have a lot of pro SEC sentiment, like whatever, make fun of us, like for being Hicks. I don't care. A lot of it's correct. A lot of the criticism is, I mean, I mean, God knows that that the Catholic Church could take lessons in self seriousness from the SEC. So I've, I've, there's no way to defend the SEC. But I got to tell you, man, the Big Ten. I mean, the level of just like sanctimony about doing things the right way <laughs> and athletics and academics and how we produce scholar athletes and Michigan men and the Ohio State University. It's like, listen, my boys, just the incredibly <laughs> like auto masturbatory fantasy of the Big Ten. It's like a it's like an Ouroboros made of fat, flabby white guys. That's that's the Big Ten in terms of how it, it presents itself to the world. And I just like cannot. I, I, I can't. I can't. I just can't deal with that level of up acidness. And like, look, in terms of the civil war, I'm on the big Ten side in terms of like our academics important. I'm on the big Ten side. That's great. Even in terms of making fun of the sec for being kind of dumb and up its own ass. I'm on the big Ten side, but like, let's not pretend that our hands are clean. Ryan day on early signing day the other day, he was like, had this whole talk about like, this is how, this you know commitments used to mean something because they had a couple of high profile flips. They had a flip from Ohio State to Oregon, actually, LOL. And he was talking about how commitments <laughs> used to be mean something, and that you know recruiting isn't the same anymore. And you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like the way the South, the way racist people in the South talk about the Civil War. That's loser talk, motherfucker. If things used to be about honor, <laughs> then change the way things are. I don't even know what I'm. I, I'm just like. I just thought I was going. I I don't even know. I thought I was going to be angry in this. And then I I was like, no, actually, fuck these guys. Fuck these guys. Okay. I always say one nice thing. Their band is actually very good. They are very good. They can really play. (laughs) I love the military style uniforms. Uh, I think they have a good sound. I think it's cool that they march march bell front euphonia instead of baritones. I think that's very cool. They've done some really interesting evolutionary things in terms of the way college marching band drill is written. They have different hats for the band for the stands and on the field and i think that's kind of a choice or whatever uh and 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 i'm gonna meet some of them said i'm sure they're gonna be great people so i don't have anything bad to say about any of them it's gonna be an honor and really like an an enormous challenge to be on the same field as ohio state's band and not get embarrassed right and so i'm excited for that and i think it's gonna make us better as well no problem with the ohio state band now let me tell you something about the big 10 the other thing that i don't like (laughs) is that it's it's just like nobody's hands are clean here, man. The Big Ten mm-hmm. is like the Hugh Freeze of conferences. You know what I'm saying? Uh-oh. It's like we all know you don't teach Sunday school, you dumb jackass. Like we all watched you sign a $2 billion TV contract. Don't fucking tell me it's about academics. You hypocritical <laughs> son of a bitch. Don't tell me about the American Union of Universities when you let in fucking Nebraska. Okay, just don't don't I, I won't I, I, I no no I refuse Jay refuse. Okay, I will not be talked down to by a bunch of people from like the 10th best state that touches a, a Great Lake. Right. I, I won't I won't do it. I won't do it. I, I, won't, I won't be talked down to by people from like the capital of gray industrial skies. People whose biggest current <laughs> export is like depression and bad football memes. I won't do it. I won't have it done. I, you're going to have to edit that down. I don't know what I just said. I just had a whiteout. I, th- I thought I wasn't going to get angry. <laughs> it's too late. Uh, it's too late for you. It's part of it now. Man, so, um, I really hate this conference. Th- 
And, <laughs> oh, they also let Urban Meyer and what they let Urban Meyer teach a leadership class while he was there. Man, yeah, these guys. I'm sorry. Will you get us back on track? I just like drove us into a ditch and like, beat the crap out of a bystander. <laughs> I need I need you to pull this car back onto the road, man. I'm I'm like all over the they place. They came over and checked on you, and they're like, "Sir, are you okay? You're bleeding from every orifice." And I was <laughs> you were like, like, "One more thing." And then I attacked the cops like last they got there. <laughs> oh man. Uh... Who knows what happened? Anyway, who is Ohio State? Let's get into the quantitative segment here. Thank you. Help me. You know, we've been talking about they're good. At, they're good at stuff. They're good at a lot of things, like pretty much everything. Yes. <laughs> you know, and so we'll we'll go into the numbers a little bit. But an overview very quickly is that they're slightly worse at defense, and our numbers have them as the eleventh ranked defense. So they're still really good. In fact. Uh, the best team that we have faced all season. We have been saying it probably from the preseason, I believe, that this is the team that we didn't really want to play. But that being said, like, this kind of pressure is a privilege. It means that, like, if we are able to beat this team, then it does prove something, I would say. And we won't have to deal with the naysayers that say things like, well, if you would have played Ohio State, then you probably wouldn't have won the, you know, the national championship, yada, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, But yeah, going down sort of their numbers real quick, offensively they are fives across the board almost um, other than plays per game they only need 68 plays per game it seems to to do what they've been doing which has been be one of the highest scoring teams in the nation uh, across the board as well so epa per play epa per game success rate uh, starting field position all almost five 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 eight starting field position is actually 51 uh defensively they're pretty even across the board as well plays per game total epa epa per play per game uh all top 10 and then success rate same situation starting field position same situation six and four if you're just looking at all of this it seems like the only chink in this armor and we can get into this is when they're rushing which i find funny because it seems you know with cj stroud at the helm that they're they're really getting a lot of things done but um I think that when it's going to be interesting to look at this team right now based on, uh, you know, the fact that their top rusher is probably going to be out. He has some sort of illness they haven't really disclosed, which is fine. We don't need to know about his illness. But, you know, talking about the the practices leading up to today, even we're recording this on Wednesday. He has not been playing. He's not been practicing at all. And so it might look even worse just based on that alone. It could also be that they're getting fresh legs and we don't have any information on the third and fourth string running backs. And so it might be different. But what what do these numbers sort of tell you, Nathan? Like, what is this picture that we're painting here with these numbers? Well, a lot of these numbers are per game on paper and for our friends over at the stats discord per CBC on CBC, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of that run up by Mr. Ross Rutledge. So Ohio State is per CBCR2 the best offense in the land. They are good on defense, and it is true that maybe those uh, defensive numbers have been inflated by playing bad offensive teams throughout their schedule in the Big Ten, mm-hmm. but they are still good on defense. They have been, like you said, I think the word fives across the board is pretty interesting. When you look at their ranks on most, like the reason they're the number one offense in the nation is because they are in the top five of pretty much every statistical category. And there are yeah. teams that have one or two things in the number one spot, but there aren't many teams that have a full suite of statistical measures that all point to them being the top yeah. line of something, which is probably why they're the best overall. They are the number one yards per play uh, net in the nation. They are the number three average yards per play or average yards gained net. They are number two and success rate net on the year. 
They are number one at mm-hmm. EPA per play net. Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that they have a, I, I would say in many ways, they are kind of like close to being the inverse of what UGA's team was in 2021, where they have a, you know, sort of era defining offense, a very, very, very good offense and a defense that is just good enough to, you know, hang around and win them games. Right. An above average defense that is overshadowed by its counterpart in the same way that UGA had an above average offense that was overshadowed by its defense last year. Now, this all the difference between last year's UGA team and this year's Ohio State team is that Ohio State lost a regular season game in a way that UGA did not. Right. Ohio State didn't play in a conference Mm -hmm. championship game and chiefly because they lost the biggest game of the year in maybe in in of the in all the nation to Michigan in the last yeah. game of the regular season. So they are an interesting team to analyze because they are simultaneously so so prolific statistically and so successful but against the best team they played this year, they kind of got ran if not ran out of the building, they kind of got sort of taken apart. Uh they are Dude, dude, they got worked. They did. They got a little bit worked. They got worked down the field too. They worked at their own game. Uh, but mm-hmm. in terms of players that matter on this team, C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. are the names to know offensively. Stroud isn't the improviser that Bryce Young is. He's not as good when things break down. He doesn't. Not, I don't think he quite has that sort of like Patrick Mahomesian thing that Bryce Young does, where someone's in his face and he like runs around and throws the ball eighty yards down the field. But when things are going well, untouchable. The dude is ridiculous. He is a I mean, he's a first-round draft pick right now, right? He's going to be either the first or second uh, quarterback taken this year, and rightfully so. He also has an amazing suite of weapons. Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably the best wide receiver in football this year. He didn't wear the win the bullet disc cough because it went to Hinden Hooker, not Hinden Hooker, to Jalen Hyatt at Tennessee, which I totally understand. But he probably should, too. Uh, I think that you any analysis of this game has to start with the fact that Marvin Harrison Jr. is just going to get his. He's probably yeah. going to have two touchdowns on this game, and it's probably going to be a long day for UGA's, uh, def- you know, for UGA defending the pass because of him. You have to kind of do your analysis of predicting this game, just taking that into account. Uh, you know, he is helped by the fact that they have another guy across the field from him, Emeka Ibuka, who would be a number one wide receiver at 129 other schools, including UGA, right? They have two mm-hmm. all worldwide receivers who were basically wide receiver one types. They, you know, offensively, they have run the ball very well. They've actually run the ball better than UGA has this year. You know, UGA's offense, rather. But they've had a lot of problems with injuries. Mayan, in, Mayan Williams, like you said, has been injured. I heard he had a knee injury. I don't know. Some kind of undisclosed injury. According to Ryan Day, he, Mayan Williams, who's their best running back, who has not been, he wasn't out for the season at this point, has been practicing with the team. But Ryan Day was cagey on whether or not he would play. That, I think, does make a difference because... This, this team at times has been a little bit one-dimensional by necessity because of injuries in the running back core throughout the year. Defensively, mm-hmm. under their new defensive coordinator, Kevin Wilson, they finally shifted away from Jim. I believe their old guy was named Jim Knowles, who ran a very old school uh, sort of like fixed safety kind of thing where they ran like one high safety at all times and they would just get burnt down the field all the time. And they've kind of innovated i don't want to say innovative they brought their defense up to sort of the standards of modern college football and so they've seen you know improvement under kevin wilson i think that against this linebacker core in especially in coverage that the tight ends are gonna have a really good day 
Uh, they have some really good players on defensively that have been graded out really well, but uh, like by uh, by sources like PFF. But they don't have a guy, a la, they don't have like a Bosa brother on this team. If that makes sense, they don't yeah. have a. I forget who who was the. They over the past few years they've had like six or seven just like number one overall draft pick defensive ends. They don't have that guy on this team. Oh yeah, they have a good defense. Yeah. Uh, and above average defense, maybe even a top 10 defense, but they don't, it's not dominating. And I would say that I, most of what I think about on the year, when you look at how this defense projects going to this game is that they have not really faced a lot of teams who can throw the ball down the field outside of Michigan, right? Penn state and Mm -hmm. Notre Dame were probably the two best teams that they played other than Michigan. And neither one of those teams have really any sign of life down the field. Right. And so I think that you have to imagine that this is a game where a successful UGA game plan includes some deep shots. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about notes wise in terms of who Ohio State is before we say talk about what we want to see? One thing that I'll say that it kind of straddles the line between sort of who this team is, but also what I would like to see and this will kind of segue us into this, I think, is that, you know, I've been saying all season that UGA, <laughs> they got that thing in them. Um, they <laughs> Oh, God, you did it again. Um, Sorry, I I just had to. I'm sorry. It didn't. Anyway, but I've been saying that UGA is is a team that builds itself around, you know, they love a team that builds itself around a single star player. And so something that I'm I'm wondering is this Ohio State team, I, I do think they are incredibly good. Absolutely. However, I'd like to speculate for a moment that CJ Stroud, much like Bryce Young, is is so good that he is sort of pulling his offense uh, offense along with him as he is. And Michigan is a team that proved itself, you know, in their in their game against each other, that they also really love a team that can build itself around one player. I think it's kind of proven in, in C.J. Stroud's stat line is that at, at that game, he threw for 349 yards. He was good for 31 of 48 attempts. He had two touchdowns, two interceptions. He was good for 131.1 QB rating which is nuts to still lose after that. Like we've been doing some dumb stuff as Georgia this year with interceptions and turnovers and still winning because we have built a team that is wide. You know, it's deep and not just wide. It's wide and deep, I would say. Whereas this Ohio State team seems to be very good and it's very deep right there at quarterback. And so I'm wondering if, you know, what we'd like to see, we're going to have to contain CJ Stroud, obviously, but... I think part of Ohio State's identity is very much in C.J. Stroud, and I kind of wanted to hear how you felt about that as well. Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of, obviously they have incredible skill position talent, but similar to what what we saw last year with Alabama, this is a team that goes as far as their quarterback takes it, because when, you know, C.J. Stroud has sort of that modern quarterback thing where he can just take a game over. Right. And they have had the times throughout the year when they've had scares, like when they were against uh, who they played. Oh, Northwestern, I think, when they had horrible weather and CJ Stroud had like turned the ball over a couple of times. He gets a couple of key runs and they run the ball out to win the game. Right. Like he is a guy who just has whatever it is. Right. He knows how to make plays. He can take a game over. And I think there is a sense in which you're right. Like Michigan did sort of try to make the game about who he was as a player. I mean, and they, they turned him over mm-hmm. twice, right? I think he had two interceptions. And that's yep. that's important to do, I think. You know, I would say the difference maybe between 
this team and other teams that we talked about who like kind of rely on one player is that the depth of skill position talent they have is pretty much unmatched in terms of who UGA has played this year. You have to go back to last year's Alabama team when they had everybody healthy to to see another team of this level of depth at the skill positions. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, we can do a little bit of trading back and forth, though. What, what are some things that you hope we would like to see that kind of indicate that this is going all right for us? Yeah, so I okay, so if this is a rock fight, you you gotta like UJ's chances. And what I mean by that, if, mm-hmm. if this is a game where the winning team scores like twenty eight points, things are probably gonna go well for us because that's a brand of football yeah. that I think we're comfortable with. If this is a game that is a you know sort of a, a, a track meet, then I think you you know Ohio State's got a real chance. I think Ohio State's got a real chance in whatever level of analysis that you have, but. I, ultimately, I think this is going to come down to, you know, who gets a very small number of stops and both teams are going to score a good handful of points. So I think one of the mm-hmm. early signs that you would see is that, like, if Ohio State has to punt two or three times in the first half, that's actually probably a good sign. It's not going us. well. Yeah, very much so. What about you? Which is that's a really good point. Like, I think that uh, something else that Michigan game told us is that. Ohio State beats their opponents by getting into track meets. And I think that it doesn't go well when they try to play under. Like, they tried to be more efficient than they did explosive in that game. And I keep drawing these parallels to the Michigan game because that is, you know, the Big Ten is the Big Ten. It's a mess. It cannibalizes itself uh, because the the level of talent is a lot lower, I feel like, than the SEC. And Michigan is very clearly the best game they've played all season. Uh, or best team they've played all season, excuse me. But... Michigan proved that if you make them work for their points, it won't really go well. And that is kind of Georgia's whole MO is that, you know, they they play their secondary deeper. They want to make sure that you are, you are getting your yardage, but you're not getting big plays. That's kind of the whole thing. They want Stroud to use his legs and run horizontal, but they do not want to be beat, I feel, on the verts. Uh, if, they, if Ohio State decides to play... They're, you know, they, they had a lot of bubble screens. They had a lot of screens. They had a lot of weird, like, wheel routes and things in, in the backfield against Michigan and tried to get a little crafty. It did not work. Georgia likes to do the same thing. They want to keep you there and give you space to kind of dick around. <laughs> and if that's how it's going to go, then I think we're going to be okay. Right. If, however, Ohio State comes out and decides to start running, you know, some some really long routes and just beat us with their legs early on, it might be more difficult for Georgia to, to get away with this game. Yeah, I, I think... I saw that you have a note about Mr. Ringer or Mr. Keeley versus Dr. Ringo. I think, you know, oh, yeah. uh, we have seen throughout the years people who have covered, I don't want to say covered because I don't want to call what we do real journalism, but people who have watched this UJ team through the entire game have seen, or through the entire year, have seen that this UJ defense will give up some routes down the sideline. I can't imagine that they won't try to exploit that. Like, if you try to throw in. Oh, absolutely. If it, I think you're right. If this, if Ohio State tries to get horizontal and throw underneath and relay on speed, they're in for a long day because that is not how you can be successful against UJ's team. But if I were them, and what I think they will do because they're smarter than me, is you got to throw down the field and you got to target, you got to target these cornerbacks one on one. Kirby Smart is not afraid to yeah. have cornerbacks play one on one bump and run coverage on islands. In fact, that's like one of the sort of identifiable. I don't know, keys to his scheme a lot of the time. is He gets numbers advantages inside by doing that. And, you know, if we see a Dr. Ringo game, you know, 
then <laughs> maybe that doesn't matter. But if we see a Mr. Keeley game mm-hmm. and he can't locate the ball and he lets dudes get over him and high point catches, it's going to be a long day for him because we they have Marvin, Marvin Harrison Jr. is the guy. He is the guy who high points yeah. catches, right? He is the guy who makes insane plays over good cornerbacks. So I think that's that's really what I want to see is like, we don't, you don't have to have a, a perfect day from from Keely Ringo. You know, he, he can give up some touchdowns. But he just has to have, like, a, a game where he doesn't totally self-destruct. That is really, that's what I would like to see, <laughs> is that, like, a lack of self-destruction on Keely Ringo's part. What about you? Yeah, that's kind of what we're hoping for. I, I will say, you know, one thing that we haven't covered really is the, the special teams uh, for these two teams. We all know how our special teams are doing. They're fantastic. Ohio State's is a little less powerful, I would say. They do have a great kicker. Um, both Podlesny and their kicker are both, they've only missed three, I think, in the entire uh, season. Uh, that includes field goals and extra points. And then their punter, however, you know, we're, we're doing pretty well on our punter. We got Brett Thorson. He's doing fantastic. Georgia is 17th, ranked 17th for field position when they are punting the ball. Ohio State is ranked 80th, hmm. which I find really interesting, which could be partially because their punter is not as good, but it could also be, you know, it, it could also very much be because there's just not a lot of data because they do tend to score in the red zone. If they get the red zone, they're going to score. Uh, and so... I think that that is something that could definitely help us, giving us good field position. I think that Georgia will punish this Ohio State team with that kind of field position each time. I think a lot of this game and a lot of... I think a lot of this game and a lot of big games in general are determined by game flow and by sort of how the game unfolds. And, you know, the old adage in football is that styles make fights. And I think a lot of games at the playoff level are determined by who dictates styles. Right. And mm-hmm. I said at the beginning, like, if this is a rock meet, then you like UJ's chances. And if it's a track meet, it can probably go a rock fight or a track meet. Right. It can go either way. But I think that this game comes down to who can get two or three stops. I think we're going to be somewhere in yeah. between those two extremes. Right. The winner is probably going to score around 30 points, I would say. And I think that it's going to come down to who can close the game out defensively. Now, that makes me like UGA. Right. In that sense, in that instance. And I think if there's a close game where UGA can just make some stops where we can just get them to punt a couple of times or get them to settle for field goals a couple of times, that could win us the game. But there is Mm -hmm. a path, I think, to UGA winning, if not in a blowout, then comfortably. And I think that relies on because I think there's three scenarios. Right. The one scenario is uh, we have like the SEC championship 2021 where Ohio State just decides damn the torpedoes we're just going to chuck it up and if you can make plays you can you know then good job and if you can't you can't and we saw against alabama that worked right so that's one scenario mm-hmm. i think that's the most likely way that you we lose this game then i think the sort of other blowout is we have kind of a situation where uh it's more like 2021 florida where the game feels really competitive and then ohio state makes one one mistake offensively and then we just kind of like snowball the game out right UGA has done this several times against lesser opponents than Ohio State admittedly I think the middle ground and the most likely thing is this is a game where basically both teams do what they want to offensively and if not score at will that both teams score pretty good regularity and that the difference in the game comes down to two or three possessions and 
if you're asking me whose defense, or if you're asking anyone, whose defense do you take in a game that has come down to those couple of possessions, you pick the one with Jalen Carter on it. That's just, mm. that's the answer, right? And so in terms of what I want to see, it's just like, this defense is going to be in high leverage moments, and we have to get stops. And whether those stops come in the form of turnovers or punts or even maybe settling for field goals occasionally, that's fine, but you have to get stops, right? And in particular, yeah. you got to get stops in the second half. Now, it may be that those stops don't matter either way, right? We could have one of those edge cases at the outside edge of the bell curve. But I think that the most likely outcome is that this comes down to can Jalen Carter and company get Ohio State off the field when it matters and when Ohio State is committed to throwing the ball down the field? And if they commit to throwing the ball down the field, then it's going to come down to can Georgia get pressure with four or five guys? Haven't always been good at that this year. I think this is a time where you see Jalen Carter play like 75% of the snaps because that's the guy who can get who can do what you need him to do in those moments, right? That's what I want to see is just stop plays, plays that end drives. That's what matters in this game, I think, ultimately. Yep. Anything else? Absolutely. I have one more thing, but I, if you got anything else, oh, oh, empty empty your notebook. No, hit me with it. I'm going to save this last bit to where we, we get into our predictions. So what do you got? The uh, last thing you want to see? The last thing the last thing I think about, or not, not even that I want to see, but I think kind of bodes well to, for Georgia is we talked before the SEC championship about Chekhov's gun. And then we recorded an episode about mm-hmm. uh, to review the SEC championship that I didn't edit because I'm an idiot and forgot about it. Well, I didn't forget about it. I just didn't have time because it was Christmas, whatever. Uh, where I talked about how, like, Chekhov's gun went off and it was a cannon, right? Coming to the LSU game, we said, if you have plays, you have to use them enough to get through this game. And then we did. I think one thing that probably bodes well for Georgia in this instance is that there is no time where the playbook is more open from Kirby Smart to Dan- to Todd Munkin than it is right now. Right. The, the playbook on yep. both sides of the ball is totally open. Every play you've put in, every wrinkle, every trick, every every new look that you have it goes into this game. Right. Statistically, we have these as the two best teams in the nation. Even And you can make an argument about whether Michigan or Ohio State deserve that based on results. But just statistically, our numbers say that these are the two best teams in the nation. OK. They also tell us that there is a, a, a small but noticeable gap after the two teams that are playing in this game. If you can get past this game, you got a decent shot about of, of, of going back to back. So from my mm-hmm. standpoint, strategically, I would say the advantage Georgia has is that you're just emptying the playbook. You, I mean, there's nothing held back. You're getting everything, you know, Ohio state on the year has prevented offensive havoc. Well, but I expect to see, I don't think we're going to see that second half LSU defense against this team. I think you're going to see every wrinkle, every stunt, every twist that UGA has just to try to get pressure in CJ Stroud's face because there is no quarterback outside of Tom Brady who is as good as he is protected as he is with pressure on his face. Pretty much every quarterback in the history of the game gets worse when there's a dude in his face with a hand up. And Mm -hmm. honestly, I think that a lot of it is going to come down to if you can get Jalen Carter in front of CJ Stroud before he throws the ball, you got a really good chance. And ultimately, that's why I like that makes sense to me. chances in the game. So what do you have to go into our predictions? So for our predictions, Vegas has this game. Uh, everybody has this game in UJ's favor, but Vegas has it at negative uh, 6.5. Sam has it at negative 3.2. SP Plus has it at negative 5.5. So we're looking at a one-score game one way or another. 
you know, the last thing I was going to say about kind of painting the picture of what we would like to see, like if we see X, then we, it indicates that it's, it's an all right time, that we're going in the right direction. I think a good sign in this game is going to be that we might get frustrated in the first half. We're going to be letting Ohio State sort of move the ball, but we want them to do it efficiently you know, with little chunks at a time down the field. If we're getting beat over the top and we're getting beat in sort of vert stacks, which, uh, whoops, what vert stacks is an ultimate frisbee thing. Um, vert routes, vertical routes down the field. Yeah. Um, and then we're getting, you know, if that's what's happening, then we're in trouble. But if they're playing under, we're letting them do their thing and we're sort of keeping them corralled almost like a sheepdog and their sheep <laughs> we're picking our battles we're managing the clock well and we're putting the ball back in our offense's hands enough to get ahead just a couple of scores then i think we're in a very good place i would think that there's a good chance that we see a very boring first half and then this might be the the, the game of the season to see uj come out in the way we've seen them in past seasons where the second half comes with adjustments where we're like holy shit this is insane like the kind of stuff that we just had let's we empty the playbook like i think the first half may be very boring as long as things are going the direction we want them to go in and then the second half is when we truly do empty the playbook and get ahead to to actually win the game that's a lot of what michigan did to beat ohio state it was a fairly close game until the second half and then ohio state just ran a very conservative game the rest of the game trying not to turn the ball over anymore and michigan absolutely punished them and so if that's what we end up doing great uh but at the end of the day like neither of these teams like both these teams actually at this point being in the playoffs you're playing with nothing to lose and everything to lose simultaneously Mm. and so you can expect both teams to do every last thing they can to win this game and it just is going to come down i feel to talent and the coaching staff is really going to show out. And we, I truly believe we have the best coaching staff in the nation. And if that's the case, which I think it is, I think that we're going to win this game handily. And I would predict, with all of that being said, it's going to be something like a Georgia may look at... This is the part I didn't think about, is how many points do I think they will actually get? Hmm. I'd say like a Georgia... Over under 62, I believe. Mm-hmm. So Georgia, like 38 to Ohio State's 21, which is a bigger margin than anybody is saying, but I feel good about it. I would love to be wrong. I, I would love you to be right. I would love for everyone to be wrong and you were right. Oh, yeah, me too. I think it comes down to a couple of possessions, man. I don't know that this... For sure. I, I think that in in the way that I default back to our numbers, because I think Ross is doing as good a work as anybody in the nation... I, I just think that this is a one possession game. And to me, it feels like this is a game where you, that we trade big plays, we trade big plays defensively and offensively. And ultimately, both of these teams do a pretty good job of scoring on each other. Uh, our predicted score through CBCR2 is something like 28-24. I don't see it being like that. I think the winner of this game is going to have to score 30 points. Uh, ultimately, mm-hmm. I'm going to say that this is something more like UGA 35 Ohio State 31. I think UJ wins this yep. game. I just think that this is you you kind of just got to assume that you're going to get two touchdowns out of Marvin Harrison Jr. and maybe one more out of the rest of the wide receiver. Right? So you're kind of not not Georgia, but like I kind of stake Ohio State 21 points, right? 
And then it kind of just mm-hmm. comes down to me to, can you turn over CJ Stroud? Can you get in his face? Can you put him on the ground? I don't know that UGA or any team is going to be able to do that with absolute impunity and do it consistently. But I think that they can do it enough to win the game, and it's a one-score a one game. It's going to kind of probably be shitty to watch. But ultimately, you got to feel good about UJ's chances going into the next game if we take care of them, right? And Oh, yeah. That is, I, I, I'm prepared to be wrong because I also think this is a game that there, it's sort of, to me, in terms of probability of outcomes, it's like the three peaks thing where it's like there's a peak in the middle that I feel like is, that's what I'm predicting. But it wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked if I saw like UGA figure something out from the Michigan tape and just like really takes this game away. And I would be a little bit shocked, but not too shocked to see like Ohio State see something in UGA secondary and just abuse it as an all day. So I, yeah. I would say that uh, this prediction I'm making is probably, you know, with 60, 50 percent confidence, because I think that when you have two teams that are very good and are evenly matched, the margins are very narrow and the spread of possible outcomes doesn't become wider, but the like how likely the possible outcomes are become higher so far as I can tell. So, yeah. Yep. I, I, didn't, I don't know what I else did make an say. adjustment. You make an adjustment? I will say I did I did make an adjustment while you were kind of talking, and it wasn't because necessarily you were talking. It was right before you started getting into it. I didn't account for uh, probably them getting a few field goals. Like, that's kind of going to be the, the key to us winning. So I, I did update my score to 38-27. Uh, that's what my heart says. My gut says it's probably going to be like a 31-28 Georgia, but 38-27 is where I'm landing. Give me that weird score. I'm ready for it. All right. That's it. We don't care about the rest of the league this week. Eyes on the prize, baby. Yeah. You want to you get us out of here? <laughs> Happenings around the league. We're leaving it behind. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you specifically get your podcasts. Get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching Chapel Bell Curve or at email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. You can support the show three ways. You can tell a friend about us. You can leave a rating or review on your podcast app of choice, or you can financially do so through patreon.com slash chapelbellcurve, where you'll get bonus behind-the-scenes content and access to our Discord with a bunch of really cool people. You can catch us in the A, or Nathan in the A this weekend, over in uh, the ATL, Hotlanta, the hip-hop capital of the world, this weekend over at Peach Bowl 2, still peaching in. <laughs> and until then, my friends... Go dogs. Go dogs. Peach bolts, you still <laughs> peaching in? Still peaching in, baby. <laughs>